please welcome to the stage our panelists for healing and protecting native languages and cultures. Are we ready? She's on. Okay, the secretary's on. Okay, all right. Well, Sakoli, everyone, Swagwait, Tracy Kennard, good luck, Nyats, Wage Sle Wage, Nidakita Loda, Okale, Oniat da Oga, Oniot da Oga, no Nii. Sorry. My name is Tracy Kennard, good luck. Um, I just introduced myself in Oneida. I'm a Bear Clan member, I'm a, a member of the Bear Clan and a member of the Oneida Nation of Wisconsin. I'm also Muskogee Creek, Thotplaco Tribal Town, so Hingchase, Dungo. I serve as Senior Advisor to Assistant Secretary for Indian Affairs, Brian Newland here at the Department of Interior. Um, I want to welcome you to this very important panel um, on healing and protecting native languages and cultures. This panel will highlight some of the major progress the Biden-Harris administration has made to begin healing and protecting native languages and cultures. This includes DOI's Federal Indian Boarding School Initiative, the National Endowment for the Humanities and DOI's Boarding School Oral History Project, and HHS's recent 10th Annual Native Language Summit. It is important to the Biden-Harris administration that we recognize the role that the U.S. government played in the forced removal and assimilation of our Native children from their homes and suppressing and eradicating their Native identities, languages, and cultures. It was these policies that made it easier for the federal government to dispossess our tribal nations of their homelands. But this recognition, recognition and acknowledgement is just the first step in our healing process. It is also critically important to this administration that we proactively address these historical policies and intergenerational trauma in a myriad of ways and develop new strong policy with tribal nation input and with hopes to successfully revitalize and protect native identities, languages, and cultures. Um, in today's panel, we'll hear from esteemed tribal and federal leaders and make some, hopefully make some time for audience Q&A. I know these are tight panels, but we're going to do our best. Um, and I'd also like to take note, and it's fitting for the subject matter of this particular panel, that this is the first all-Native panel of the summit. So federal leaders and our tribal leaders. Um, I'm going to give our two tribal leaders an opportunity to introduce themselves here momentarily, but I want to let you know who else is on stage with me. Um, She needs no introduction, but we have the Secretary of the Department of Interior, Secretary Deb Holland. Hello, Secretary Holland. We hope you're feeling better. 
Um, we also have Chair Shelley Lowe right next to me from the National Endowment for the Huma- Humanities. She's the, I believe, the second female and first Native chair of NEH. And we have Commissioner Patrice Kunish from the Association for Native Americans from the Department of Health and Human Services. Um, now I'm going to uh, ask Chairman or Councilman David Boxley from Metlakatla Indian Community um, to introduce himself, and then Chairwoman uh, Gina Katkak from the Menominee Indian Nation. After that, thank you. Takwandi will watko at a needy will zorro. Skogiak wad in a guadu, lachskik deep aircht. Skuxent o the mohoyerum how you. Upskaraskao a yalka will a how you. Dim hoxku a trani get a gua a lachstupo. At a omt kagordu, the achku and dim. Inam go willayu and a lip aliago at a gaudy hashara, tradni a lugi get, watka the governmentum and thodem lachyub. Chiefs, nobles, noble women, councillors, I am uh, honored to be here among you, and it's hard for me to put into words just how fortunate I feel. My name is Gibam Lacha. I belong to the Wolf Clan, the Simsean Nation. I come from and live in my community of Metlakatla, Alaska. My father is David Albert Boxley of the Eagle Clan. And uh, I hope that I can add to this conversation today, both for what is needed for my own language, uh, but also all of us who are fighting to save ours. All of us. It's such a neat thing to speak to an audience like this. Thank you. You go. Thank you. Chairwoman? My name is Gina Kakak. I'm an enrolled member of the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin. I'm a direct descendant of Chief Grizzly Bear and Chief Aknipwe. And I'm the current chairwoman of the Menominee Nation. I'm very honored and humbled to be here sharing this space with everyone and like Councilman said, it's, it's a um, very empowering feeling to be in a room full of tribal leaders. So I went in for that, and thank you for allowing us to be here. Thank you. Um, and federal um, leadership, when I call on you for your question, please feel free to add to your introduction as you see fit. My first question is for Secretary Holland. And Secretary Holland, you'll have four minutes to answer this question. <laughs> Why was it important for DOI to launch the Federal Indian Boarding School Initiative, and how does it align with the President's prioritization to protect and revitalize Native languages and cultures? Thank you so much, Tracy, for the question, and thank you for keeping me um, cognizant of the time. Gwatsi haupa duhiname itzakuitza shuimihanu. Um, I first want to preface my answer by acknowledging the staff who, who are Indigenous, who worked on this initiative, putting their own trauma aside to promote the healing that our country needs. 
Uh, I'm also honored to be on this panel with all of you. So thank you uh, so much for being here. And um, of course, every day, I wish that I could be there in person with all of you. Um, it was important for me to launch the boarding school initiative because I know personally how much pain and trauma that era caused not only to my family, but caused to every indigenous person I know. I've said that often. It was the perpetual elephant in the room. Uh, but nobody, you know, nobody knew what, what was really wrong. Um, so much of what oppressed our people through the decades started with boarding schools. On the day that the Kamloops mass grave came to public knowledge, my op-ed in the Washington Times, I'm sorry, the Washington Post was set to print the next day. And um, that kind of laid out um, what the boarding schools did to indigenous people just across the border from there. Um, it made me believe that this issue was meant to fester when it did, and we were not supposed to stand by and watch, but to actively participate in solutions. This issue is large, and it's ugly, and it needs to see the light of day, and that's exactly what this boarding school initiative is doing. During our Road to Healing sessions, the loss of language was the possession that most people spoke of with regret. Some people blame themselves, like I often do. One man said that he never lost his language, that it was stolen from him. Our native language is everything. It defines every facet of our world from where our people stood, walked, created, and practiced ceremony. The president and the first lady have both been very strong and supportive on this issue, and they both realize personally that to truly heal from this terrible past, our children must have the full opportunity to understand the world from the perspective that our ancestors intended. Along with the First Lady, I was proud to visit the Cherokee Language Immersion School in Oklahoma, where Chief Hoskin, with the support of the Biden administration, is making language learning a top priority. And you can tell uh, that it is wonderful for the children to have that opportunity. So in answer to your question, the boarding school initiative highlighted an issue and the Biden administration is working to help tribes find the best solution using many tools in their own way and for their people. Thank you, Tracy. Yago, thank you, Secretary Holland. And we're really grateful for your leadership in this space. It really means a lot to Indian country. My second question is for Chair Lowe. And again, four minutes. <laughs> In line with DOI's Federal Indian Boarding School Initiative, what are some initiatives that NEH is working on to shed light on Federal Indian Boarding School policies and experiences? Thank you, Tracy. My name is Shelly Lowe. I'm a citizen of Navajo Nation. I'm chair of National Endowment for Humanities. Um, National Endowment for Humanities, or NEH, is a federal funding agency. And when I came into this position uh, last year in February, 
Secretary Holland had just announced the Federal Indian Boarding School Initiative, and I came in and I made it very clear to the staff, this is something that we need to fund. This is something that we need to support. Um, I'm going to always acknowledge Secretary Holland and Assistant Secretary Newland for taking the leadership and for creating this opportunity for us to do this work, because it's not something that we've done before. This is a first for us, and it's an important task that we need to be really supporting and paying attention to. But I came in into my position, and I I asked for a meeting with uh, Secretary Holland, and I sat down with her, and I said, this is exactly what NEH supports. We have been doing work supporting boarding school-related projects for years. We funded Away From Home at the Heard Museum. We funded a project through the Genoa Indian School in Nebraska. We have funded language and cultural revitalization programs. But we needed to come to the table and say, any H wants to support this. It's important that we can digitize these records. It is important for us to be able to tell the American people, particularly tribal members, this is what is in the federal record. She did not fall out of her chair when I told her how much money I wanted to give her. And we worked through a process to say, what is it that we can do and we can fund? So NEH and DOI have an interagency agreement. NEH provided $4 million towards the digitization of the federal records and towards creating this oral history project. Part of the oral history project is, as you know, we have to tell this story ourselves. We have to allow space and a place and a time for our tribal members who have been through boarding schools to share their stories. And I've had the opportunity to sit in on some of the listening sessions that um, Brian, Secretary, uh, Assistant Secretary Newland and Secretary Holland have supported. And I've listened to individuals say, you're coming and you're hearing our stories, but now what? You're going to go back into your offices and what's going to happen after that. So I sat down with my staff, and I want to acknowledge Jason Pacino, who's in the room, our, our new strategic advisor for Native Affairs. And I said, we have to be able to support communities after this. So we've developed a few more opportunities for tribes to be able to assess for themselves what they need to do as you grapple with this history. So we have a new um, chairs grant opportunity for communities to tell us exactly what it is that you want to do. Do you want to do your own listening sessions? Do you want to do your own oral history projects? Do you want to start digitizing records you might have in your own collections and files? Do you want to create language programs and curriculum? And if you do, we want to be able to support you in that. But we also want to be able to make sure that our regular grant funding lines are open to the projects that support this as well. We will be supporting scholarly research for individuals who are wanting to do this work. We will be supporting convenings to talk about where we go and what our next steps. And we'll be supporting um, educational initiatives. So if you want to build curriculum, if you want to create education programs for your communities, for your states, for your regions. One of the initiatives that we really want to make sure happens out of all of this work is that this is a history that's told to the public, that they understand that this happened, and they understand that this is what Native communities have had to deal with, are continuing to deal with, and will move forward dealing with. And we need to make sure that this is um, something the public understands and knows and, you know, that we have the opportunity to move ourselves forward. So we're, we're just delighted to be able to support this work and keeping it going. Thank you. Yes, round of applause. I want to I take the privilege of being the moderator here just to make a quick comment. Um, I don't think 
I don't know, but I don't think we would have seen the same amount of commitment or dedication coming from uh, another federal agency like NAH with the commitment they're making on this project and this initiative um, if we hadn't had a Native leader in this position. I think this underscores the importance of having Native leadership in high-level senior positions within this administration um, and I, you know, I'm just really grateful that this administration is making those changes and moves to put as many Native leaders in these positions as possible. So thank you very much. All right. So the next question um, is for Councilman Boxley and Chairwoman Katkak. Um, and we'll, uh, Chair, Councilman Boxley will go to you first. But as we've seen, the Biden-Harris administration has embarked in centering voices and experiences of tribal members affected by these policies. Given that both of your tribes were and continue to be hugely impacted by these past policies, could, your comment, can, could you comment on how the administration's initiatives have helped or will help your tribes and what more needs to be done? You first, yes. Thank you for the question. Um, I, I would say off, off the bat it is uh, pleasant to feel listened to and putting uh, indigenous people in positions um, like yours uh, does mean something. Um, if anyone is in the room who could tell me, matter of fact, Matt Indian community is waiting to hear uh, whether or not we're receiving the Living Languages grant. I was hoping the word would come in before I sat on this panel. So at the moment, uh, we're waiting on, on that information. Um, but that leads me to, to the things that could be done better. And, I, and I, uh, one of the, the downsides, I, I feel like we spoke backstage about having indigenous people in your positions, is that when we still have criticisms of the government, we're having to say it to our own people. And that's sometimes pretty hard. Um, so for Metlakatla, and, I, and I, my perspective on this is going to be based from a community that is, is um, watching our language slip away and that there are less than maybe about 60 fluent speakers left in the world. Uh, when I was born uh, in 1981, there were about 150 fluent speakers just in the community of Metlakatla. Uh, when I moved home in 2015 to try to become fluent, in Samaliyah, that's the name of the Simsian language, uh, there were six, and today there is one. Um, I spent five years working with my teacher, Sarah Booth, and um, the language I'm able to use now uh, is in great part due to her and my current teacher, Teresa Lowther, who I meet with over Zoom because she lives in Victoria, British Columbia. Um, we are in... Uh, uh, desperate position. And it's not for lack of trying. Um, matter of fact, right now there are probably more Somalia learners than there have ever been. And it's something to be very proud of. Um, the problem is, is that we're running out of speakers. And um, one of the things that, that I would really like the government to consider is removing any obstacles for cross-border uh, cooperation between tribes whose people straddle the uh, United States-Canadian border, and I'm sure it's a similar situation across the Mexican border. Um, it's, um, 
this work is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I'm an artist by trade. I'm a totem pole carver. You can find a totem pole my dad and I did uh, in the rotunda of the Museum of American Indian. And uh, I just started my second term on council. So even this language work and, and political work is, is pretty new to me. Uh, but I've found that having been brought up around my language, my great-grandfather was alive till I was 10, um, and the, the cultural training I received from my father and my other elders and mentors uh, has prepared me for, for this position, odd, oddly enough. And I find that where in my personal life I uh, maybe avoid conflict too much, uh, that I can sit on a stage like this and say things like, uh, it is absolutely ridiculous that we have to compete for federal funding for language revitalization. Um, it's ridiculous. I, I find it uh, offensive because in 1915, my people wrote a letter to the United States government. They saw that neighboring communities received higher educations than our missionary provided us. Our missionary, though, learned our language and preached and taught bilingually. The United States government agreed to bring a school to Metlakatla, and from then on, our children were punished for speaking our language. So I know who is responsible for the state of my language, and I feel like the effort that was put in to exterminating our languages needs to be put into bringing them back. Um, that's just the way it is. That's the way it ought to be. And I would advise the BIA to make their number one goal, just like it's our number one goal, to create more fluent speakers than we're losing. We, we constantly put mid-level learners in teaching positions that is never going to create a new generation of fluent speakers. And I'm sure there are a lot of other nations that are in the same position that we're in. It is not enough to say you have a language program if the goal is not to create the fluent speakers needed to have the capacity to teach. That is the bottom line. That's, that's it. Um, I'd love to have this panel on the first day of the summit when more people are here. I think that that's, uh, it's very important. Um, and uh, I want to thank uh, the council and executives in Metlakatla for supporting me. In coming out here, I want to thank my teachers, Sarah Booth and Teresa Lowther. They're the reason I can talk to you in my language today. And my father and my mother uh, for putting up with a creative kid that doesn't know when to stop talking. <laughs> thank you very much. Do I actually know some? Yago, Yago Councilman, and I really am appreciative. Um, I first met the Councilman about a year and a half ago. I had the privilege to um, visit uh, with the Assistant Secretary, the community of Metlakatla, and um, just how warm and inviting they were, how warm and inviting you were, and you don't need to ever apologize to any of us for the criticisms. Um, you know, it's our responsibility to listen to those criticisms and do a better job and try to do a better job on these issues. And, and that's why, for me personally, this is really important work. And I'm just really grateful for the hospitality you, your community showed us, especially getting to see your children 
sing and dance in their language in the longhouse. So um, thank you for those words. Um, Chairwoman, I'm going to ask you the same question. All right. Thank you for that question. I'll do my best to um, fit 150 years in four minutes. I didn't make it. Yeah. All right. So for Menominee, we've survived many harsh chapters in our history from government boarding schools to termination to relocation. Throughout the 19th century, we were forced to grant over 9 million acres of land to the United States, leaving us with 240,000 acres for our current reservation. The United States took the remaining lands through the Menominee Termination Act. We opposed the federal government's disastrous Indian termination policies of the 1950s and fought for its reversal. This led to the passage of the Menominee Restoration Act of 1973. This not only rectified the injustices of termination, but also restored our sovereignty. It not only impacted Menominee, but all tribal nations. This month marks the 50th anniversary of restoration for the Menominee people. Thank you. The Menominee Restoration Act sought to allow us to regain our reservation lands by requiring the United States to accept the lands back into trust when transferred by a Menominee member. This is a huge burden on the tribe, as it is the tribe that must purchase the lands, not the United States. There is a small group of non-native landowners that are attempting to stop us from reacquiring our lands. They have placed restrictive covenants on lands to prohibit the tribe to reacquire land. This is a deliberate attempt to obstruct both tribal and federal law. We have spent years and thousands of dollars fighting these covenants after it was sued in Wisconsin State Court and currently await a decision from the Court of Appeals. We fight this battle to uphold federal law and our rights under federal law. We hope the United States will join Menominee in fighting to uphold its rights under federal law. Although restored, we still see the impacts of termination today. A common factor in all the needs of the Menominee tribe is funding. Our reservation is ranked at the bottom for health outcomes in Wisconsin. There's a critical need to expand the existing tribal clinic. There's a glaring need to provide greater educational opportunities to those living on the reservation, restoring our language, supporting elders, diversifying the forest economy, and restoring tribal lands. The list goes on and on. But our resiliency shows in our revitalization efforts. Over the last century, our language was targeted by the government and religious institutions, specifically boarding schools. Today, we have an alarmingly low number of first and second language speakers. Our language is at risk of becoming extinct. Through the resiliency and perseverance of our elders, our language has partially remained intact. Our tribal government has made it a priority and created the Menominee Language and Culture Commission Code. Today we have a Menominee Language Trainee Program, Immersion School, and Youth Immersion Program. We have people that are passionate about our Makhnamene Waitnessin, our Menominee Language. And Menominee U is a 501c3 community grassroots organization who recently broke ground for a language campus where the language and culture can thrive in a natural environment. We are taking steps towards healing 
by addressing issues that take priority over basic daily needs like our traumas, AODA, and loss. We realize necessary factors for healthy Menominee people, our culture, language, elders, and our relationship to Mother Earth. Our resources are limited to meet the needs of 9,000 tribal members. Yesterday we watched as President Biden signed an executive order to support tribal nations and promote self-determination. And I'd like to say thank you, Mr. President, for recognizing and acknowledging that. This is a step in the right direction. The federal government's financial assistance have continued to sustain many tribal programs. We deserve this, and we should not have to compete. The Menominee Nation will continue to look forward to our government-to-government relationships. Matt Troyman and it. Yago, thank you. I think that you've highlighted some really phenomenal uh, things your tribe is doing to to move native language protection and revitalization forward. And I, for one, look forward to coming out and visiting your community and taking notes and learning myself on some of the ways, you know, we talk a lot, those of us working on the native language work here in this administration, um, including my colleagues on stage and Secretary Holland, you know, I think one thing we're learning about is we're not the ones with the answers. You are as tribal leaders and tribal communities What we need to do is help support you, provide technical assistance and resources so that you can do the work in protecting your languages for your community and your citizens in the best way that you know is possible. Um, And we have plenty of examples um, and models such as Menominee. So thank you for that. Um, So now, uh, Commissioner Kunish, I'm going to turn to you next. In October, HHS, in partnership with DOI, Department of Education, and USDA, hosted its 10th annual Native Language Summit. How has this summit helped the administration shape the way HHS and overall the federal government approach policies, programming, and resources to revitalize and protect Native language and culture? Uh, Thank you, Tracy, for that question, and thank you also for attending and being part of the summit I'm a language learner, and uh, every time I hear the language spoken, any native language, it just, it just sings in my heart. And I really uh, strive to learn and listen and, and, and uh, appreciate what it takes to be native learner. Um, the, ministr- the Administration for Native Americans, I just want to say, first of all, is one of these wonderful federal government funders of Native language revitalization and preservation. Unfortunately, it's also through competitive grants. Uh, and, and that is a tragedy, I would agree, because we have so many fantastic applications and projects and opportunities to really instill the love of language in the little children all the way up through college. So I'm very proud of the fact that we put out $16 million every year in language preservation and language immersion, but it certainly is not enough. And, and um, uh, it, it breaks my heart to, to not be able to fund these really incredibly fantastic programs. 
But let me say about the, the, native, uh, the native Language Summit, it was my first opportunity to be part of the summit, and I was amazed at the energy and the excitement and the, and the buzz around the room and, and native language uh, learners and teachers and uh, coming together and, and sharing their best practices, their great ideas, but also just celebrating native languages together. It just so, so inspired me. So what I learned is that over the last 10 years at these summits, uh, we've seen so many successful programs and strategies that have really re- helped revitalize native languages. And this, uh, this really shows from the language immersion programs. I got to see so many of these in my few months at ANA, from Cherokee Little Seeds, for example, infant language immersion, where mothers and children are singing and dancing uh, in their native languages, uh, to Native Hawaiian language immersion all the way up through college. So these are incredibly strong, robust, and really committed communities. We've also seen uh, successes in uh, adult language apprentice programs. And it really astounds me to see that tribes are committing precious dollars from essential governmental services, but I do think this is an essential governmental service around supporting apprentices full-time five days a week, and even language villages uh, to ensure that, that the language uh, survives and thrives. We really also learned about uh, the ongoing challenges uh, to this work and, and the tragedy, the loss of so many first language uh, speakers to, you know, the, the COVID pandemic. Everywhere we go, we see um, and hear about the loss. And, you know, what it, what's frightening is that some of these languages are near extinction. So uh, this year's Native Language Summit highlighted activities in Native communities across the country and in the Pacific Islands as well around the four pillars of the administration's 10-year Native Language uh, Action Plan. And those four pillars are awareness, recognition, integration, and support. And let me just tell you what that means. So we're trying to raise national awareness about the critical importance of native language and the state of this near extinction of so many of them. Recognition is, is what we've heard about earlier of the, recognizing the federal government's responsibility and accountability for its role uh, in past policy practices in the programs designed to eliminate native languages, termination, boarding schools, forced relocation, and more. The other part is uh, integration, and I think this is really uh, the positive part of the, the work. It's about the purposeful act of rekindling and realivening, you know, if, if that's a word, but you get the idea that we're, we're trying to lift up the spirit, the voice uh, of Native languages throughout Native communities, through the engagement in the community, as Tracy was saying. And we also want to allow non-Native uh, into this space as well. Multilingualism, for example, is really important. And we see this expressed in, 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 in activities such as voting 
having native language available at the voting booth or applying for Social Security or Medicaid. And finally, support, and that's what we can do, is providing appropriate and sufficient resources to reclaim and restore and really preserve uh, our language vitality and our identity. So I just want to say two more things. At the summit, I was really proud to announce uh, ANA's Native Early Childhood Development Initiative. And the reason I, I say this in this context is that Native language is such an important part of brain development that is so critical at these early ages. And that brain development and that brain architecture really forms identity and resilience and healing. And lastly, I just want to make sure that everyone knows about the Durban Feeling Native uh, Language Revitalization Act. And my Congress has charged my agency, ANA, to do a national survey of all Native languages and to assess how many Native languages we are and the proficiency level. So we need all of you to be part of this of this survey and to tell us what is needed and what questions we need to know and to how to frame this, uh, this work and report to Congress. Thank you. Thank you. Round of applause for Commissioner Kunish. Um, it's really, truly an amazing effort across the administration right now, so I'm really grateful for your leadership at ANA and, and, and um, your leadership at uh, NEH and Secretary's leadership at Interior. But, you know, I also really want to give my my thanks and gratitude to our tribal leaders on stage who are telling the stories of their people, their histories, why this is important, why it's important for those of us in the federal government to support and do this job and make sure that we are walking that talk or yeah, you know, that phrase. <laughs> um, this is important work, and um, this administration is committed to it, and I'm just really honored and grateful every day that we have senior leadership that really la- allows us to do our jobs and to work on these types of critical issues facing Indian country, um, and to the tribal leaders on stage, you know, keep please keep doing what you're doing. Please hold us accountable. Please come and knock on our doors and tell us that you need more funding and we need to get out of the way and you need we need to make grants that aren't competitive, et cetera. We're listening. We're trying to do the work and we're hoping to make a lasting, indelible mark on, on Indian country through this work we're doing. So please, everyone, give everyone a big round of applause and thank you. Yago, Mado. Thank you, Secretary Holland. Get well.